Remain standing, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the first four verses. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would cause the words that we hear, your word, that we hear with our ears, Lord, to penetrate and work into our hearts. Lord, we pray that your spirit would do the fine surgery that's needed for our hearts to be penetrated by the hope of the gospel found in Christ. Lord, I pray that we today would, something that is so simple and foundational to the Christian faith, that we have died with Christ and been raised with him, something that we have read and recited so many times, would you cause our hearts and minds to see this anew today? Would you help us to discover how this can change our lives for how we live? Would you teach us and instruct us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. So the letter that Paul is writing to the Colossians is one of both warning and instruction, and we've seen both of those elements uh, in the letter so far. And in the last two weeks, we've dealt with those three warnings that he gave the Colossians that can be summed up this way, that they weren't to give up their freedom to these following these false teachers, which is what the false teachers had come in to do, to take away that freedom that they had in Christ by adding to the complete work of Christ these other things, things that they needed to do or not do things that they needed to be restricted from. Um, Paul wanted them to understand that where freedom is actually found is in submitting to Christ, which seems backwards until we understand that every one of us submits to something. We all submit to some kind of rule and authority. Uh, It's the way the world works. Now, what we prefer, we think we prefer, is autonomy. We think that we would prefer that there would be no rules, that we wouldn't have to submit to anyone or anything, and if that was the way it was, things would be okay. And we live life long enough, and we realize the world doesn't work this way. The problem is, is when the autonomy of someone else crosses our autonomy, right? And that's, you know, we get, we get conflict. If you had woken up this morning and walked into your kitchen and your neighbor was standing there with the refrigerator door open eating ice cream out of the carton and you said, what? What's going on? And they looked at you like, what, I'm hungry. I mean, that's not the way it's supposed to be, is it? There would be a problem. Or if you were trying to pull out here on US-1 and behind you came a large truck who simply pushed you out of the way with the power of his vehicle, yelling all the while, you're in my way, as you're getting pushed into oncoming traffic, there would be you know, a problem. Or if you had gone fishing, not today, but on, say, a sunny, beautiful day, and you were enjoying the peace of the lake and sitting on the, bo- the deck of your boat, and then 
you glance over and notice the local septic tank company pumping the contents of their truck into the lake in which you're fishing, there would be a problem. You see, we want rules to protect us. We want authority to protect us because we realize that to live truly autonomously it would be a world of chaos. We would be constantly crossing each other. All of us submit to some authority, to some rule. That's the way life works. Well, as believers, part of our growing and our maturing in Christ is recognizing that by submitting to Him and to His reign is not only protection and safety, but really is freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom from ourselves. It's freedom from the weight of sin and the curse of sin. It's freedom from others sinning against us and the effects of sin that we feel in the fallen world. It is freedom because of what? The hope of the resurrection. That all of this is not all there is. And so even though we do suffer, we consider the sufferings as not anything compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to come. So we have hope beyond this world, and therefore we have freedom in Christ. It's what the Colossians needed to hear and understand, and it's what you and I need to hear and understand today. What we see in this passage, or what we'll focus on in this passage, are two things that are descriptive of us. There are two um, directives that tell us how to live, and there are two promises. And as I've thought about that, um, I think that's a helpful way to look at a lot of passages of Scripture to consider what Scripture says about us, our condition. Because we need to know, one, that we're fallen, because sometimes we deceive ourselves and we think we're pretty good. Or um, there are days when we feel the fallenness and we need to be reminded of God's great love for us in Christ. We need to be grounded in truth. So directives are this grounding place. We need to look for those and rest in those directives, or those uh, descriptives, rather, that describe truth about us. But we also need directives. We need to know the way in which to go. We need to know how practically to apply what the truth is. And we need to always remember the promises that God has given us that keep us um, from wondering off one way or the other, thinking incorrectly. So let's begin by looking at the two descriptives that we see here. One, you have died, and two, you have been raised with Christ. We have died with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. Something that seems so simple, so foundational to the Christian faith, that with Christ we have died, and with Christ that we've been raised. And yet this is something that doesn't, isn't necessarily intuitive to new believers, and is something that as seasoned believers... In our maturity, we can struggle because we forget this. We forget that we have died to our own ways. I mean, after all, right now in this moment, we're quite alive. And we we don't have the full benefits of the resurrection yet either. So these truths seem like they're far away, that they're not here. And yet, we look and we say, is this something that has already happened? Or is this something that will happen? And the answer is, of course... Yes, (laughs) it has already happened and it will happen. We live in this time, this gap of the now and the not yet. We have died with Christ and we will die physically, but good news, that's not the end because we have been raised with Christ and we will be raised physically as well. So what does this mean? Well, Paul 
gave probably the best description of what he's explaining here in Galatians 2.20, a passage that's familiar to many of us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That describes what has taken place in our current, uh, current situation, our current experience. When we come to faith in Christ, the old self dies. It's crucified. We die to ourselves. Jesus said it this way in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And that's something that if it isn't for the sake of truth, understanding that we have been raised with Christ, that could be something that's very discouraging because we live in a world that says, you know, you only live once, right? You've got to make it count. You've got to live and do everything and have every experience in this life because this is all there is. We want to do everything we can as humans to try and distance ourselves from any sense of accountability to a creator. So this can become a, an obstacle for unbelievers, but it can remain an obstacle for believers to grow in maturity. And this is why we need to hear this that we have died with Christ in his crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's where the, there's the promise, right? So the old is gone. We've died to the self, but there's more to the story. The new has come. New life. Resurrection. That's the good news. You and I have been raised with Christ. This is what Paul got at in Colossians 2, which we saw just a few weeks ago, where he said, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and power in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So it's in that forgiveness of our sins that we are made alive. We need to know these descriptives. Both are true of believers now, and yet there's more to the story, right? There's more to come. We're waiting for the day of consummation because we still face physical death. But we don't face it with fear and dread. We don't hope and grieve as those who have no hope because of the second part, that Christ has been raised and we too will follow him in that resurrection. In writing to Timothy, Paul said, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The hope of the resurrection is that we, through faith, will follow Jesus into new life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, was what Jesus said. And this is something that, again, we can acknowledge in our songs and our creeds and our statements But this is hard sometimes to really lay a hold of in this life because we feel the weight of the world. We feel the weight of this life, the heaviness of the things that we carry. While this hope, the resurrection, gives us courage not to fear death, it also gives us power in our lives right now. This matters for you and me right now today, not just when we face death. Peter says in the opening of his first letter uh, that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's a hope that is living inside of us now, not just a far away hope. So that today, whatever we're facing, the wave upon wave of stress or grief or pain or suffering or whatever it is, that we have this passage here for us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and being found in Him, hidden with Christ in God, fills us with a real hope in the face of suffering. Romans 5 says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that we, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You may be burdened with the busyness of raising a family or caring for aging parents or dealing with your own struggles physically or dealing with being alone or suffering in any way. The hope of the resurrection is for you today. It changes the way that we look at life. Paul writes in Romans 8, But we ourselves who who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait. We do feel the wait. But we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he, he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So how then, if this is true about us, and we acknowledge that we see this in Scripture over and over again, not just in this this passage in Colossians, how then do we lay a hold of it? How do we take hold of these descriptive truths? Well, he answers us through the two directives. The two directives are seek the things that are above, and set your minds on things that are above, which sound really familiar, like the same thing. And they kind of are the same thing, but they're also a little different. So let's look at how they're similar and how they're different. The command to seek things above speaks to our intentions and our priorities, how we use our time, how we spend our money, how we extend or expend our energy shows our intentions and priorities. People you know, have said, I don't know who gets credit for this, but show me someone's checkbook and I'll show you their priorities, or show me someone's day runner or day timer or iPhone calendar or whatever we use now and I'll show you their priorities. Our lives show what our priorities are by how we live our life. So we don't have to look hard to figure out what our priorities are. We can self-examine and determine not what we say our priorities are, but what our priorities really are by how we spend our time how we expend our lives. Jesus said it this way, and this verse may have come to your mind, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first His kingdom. That sounds like a nice thing to do, but what was the broader context of what Jesus was saying when He made that statement? Let me read it to you from John 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's Jesus speaking about when he says a verse that we often know and maybe quote, seek first the kingdom? He's talking about 99.9% of our anxiety, what we stress out about. Food, clothing, the body, the things, the temporal things of this world. It wasn't meant to be an exhaustive list. His point was, get your minds off of these things here. This is not all there is. Set your minds on heaven. That's where your life is hidden with Christ. That is what matters. Seek the things that are above. Our priorities and intentions are not to be driven by what's in front of us, but by Him. Now, this is hard because we still have to be husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and employees and, and, and homeowners, and we have to deal with all of this stuff. Well, that's where the second directive comes in. It isn't that we're supposed to move off into a monastery and lock ourselves away or a convent and, and close the door just so we can only think about our life as hidden in Christ. Look at the second directive. Set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth. The idea here is that the battle's fought in the mind. What we think about, how we spend our thoughts. In Romans 12, we read, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that the test, by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to guard our minds and our, our, and our hearts. What are we thinking about? What are we spending our time? What, is, what are we putting in? You know, the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, right? What are we pouring into our heads? What are we dwelling on? What are we thinking about? Later in, in, verse, in chapter 3 of Colossians, and I don't want to get ahead, but this is where we're going, and we'll see this in the coming weeks. We see the, the, the command of Paul to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How do we put on the new self? Well, it's being through knowledge, being renewed in the mind. The setting of our mind on things above or being transformed by the renewal of our minds comes through knowledge and growth. This is why we don't remain static. We need to learn more and more who Christ is. That's a process that we'll never outgrow, no matter how many years the Lord gives us. We'll never know Christ fully in this life. So it's an area we always have room to grow in because it's a relationship. I mean, think about if you're married, your spouse, you're still getting to know them after so many years. How much more the inexhaustible Christ And the other thing is, not only do we need to learn a lot, we're so forgetful. We forget. We forget the truth that is in the the gospel. And we need to be reminded of it. We need to hear it again and again. So we discipline our mind. We fix our mind. We set our mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated and where our life is hidden with God. Your reality as a Christian is that you have died with Christ and are risen with him. Therefore, 
he, he, him, where he is, is where you need to fix your mind and your thoughts. How do we do this? Well, we pray. We live a life of prayer. We're told to pray without ceasing. Again, does that mean that we go to a monastery or convent or someplace and never leave? No, it's that that's how we live our lives, that we're continually offering up to God our prayers, seeking His help, seeking His direction. Secondly, we dwell on the truth. It means we have to know the truth. It means we have to be in the truth. We have to know God's Word. We rejoice in the Lord. That command is given over so many times in Scripture to rejoice in the Lord. Why? It's because of who He is, not because of our circumstances. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when everything's going well. It just says rejoice in the Lord. It's because of who He is. Fix your thoughts on Him. Seek Him. And then as we do this, the promise that is found in Philippians 4, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace that passes all understanding when we seek the things that are above is because it is based on who He is and that His promises are true, that we can believe Him and trust Him and rest in Him. And that's where we finish up today, these two promises that are given to us. One, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And two, that you will appear with Him in glory. Why is it that He says our life is hidden with Christ in God? There's similar language that's used to describe the the hiddenness of the, the, the plan of God's redemption, right? The, the fact that uh, in Romans, Paul writes, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. Um, we look at the gospel in the old covenant. We understand it wasn't all clear. We did, you know, Abraham had the promise, blessing to many nations. What was that really going to look like? Did he fully understand that? I don't think so. But we look back and we understand what that means. Now the gospel going to all nations, every tribe and tongue. But I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. I think what Paul is describing is that our position is hidden as we are united to Christ in heaven. Ephesians 2 says we're not only, not only is he in heaven, but God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But we say, wait a second, we're not there, we're here. Exactly. We are here, but we are there. Our position is there, not just our future, but even now. So how do we live by that? Well, this is by faith. This is not visible to us. It's not visible to the world. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so what the world experiences and what the world sees and what the world often likes to point out is the frailty of the church. And yet... Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We see a prevailing church and yet we see a frail church. You look at Revelation, the seven churches and those letters and you see the frailty of the church. And you don't have to live long to know that this is true throughout church history. And yet we know that God is faithful that he will do all that he promised to do. Again, in Philippians, Paul writes, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, our life is hidden with Christ in God, and we claim that, lay hold of that, hold on to that by faith. The faithfulness that Paul describes in the second promise 
Then when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is that consummation that we're all looking forward to. That God who is faithful to do what he said he will do, that we hold on to by faith, not by sight. Sometimes it seems like there's no evidence that this is going to be true, but we believe it's true because he said it. It is true. It will be true. He will return and make all things right. John in his first epistle writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. It is a promise that is sure and is true. And this is where we fix our eyes on Christ, the author of our faith. And so when the things of the world weigh us down, when you're frustrated and discouraged by what you have been dealt in life, when you're short on hope, you seek Christ who intercedes for you at the Father's right hand. That's where your life is hidden. That's where the, the, the down payment is in the sense the Holy Spirit's the down payment in us, but the down payment in heaven, where Christ is, that's where we're headed. Set your mind on that. Fix your mind on that. Remind yourself of this, that our Savior holds all who are His safely. No one can pluck them out of His hand. And when He is revealed in glory, our faith will be made sight. So we can say with confidence then, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Father, my prayer for us today is that we, we're looking through this glass dimly and we, we understand, Lord, that our, our life is hidden with Christ, but sometimes we don't feel it because of what weighs us down. Would you bring this truth back to our memory again and again and again, that we'd lay hold of this, that we'd fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame for our sake. Help us to remember this, Lord. What he has done for us now as he is risen and seated at the right hand of the throne and we are seated positionally with him that one day that will be made sight. May we hold on to it. May we believe it. And may you transform or purify us, as John said, as we hope in this. Make our hearts pure, that we not only rest in the promises, but that we live in a way that pleases you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who does not know that hope, that you would arrest their heart and draw them to the Savior to know a hope that is sure to be able to face anything in this life because they too can be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Would you save the unsaved, we pray. Lord, I pray that as we go that you would strengthen us and encourage us, that you would give us power to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.